You're listening to Well Made, a podcast from Lumi about the people and ideas behind your favorite online brands. I'm your host, Stefan Ango. Alex Waldman, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm very happy to be here. So you are the co-founder and creative director of Universal Standard. Tell us a little bit about Universal Standard. What, what is it about? Universal Standard is an apparel brand uh, of uh, women's clothing uh, that is kind of trying to, to create a paradigm shift in the fashion industry uh, by desegregating plus size from regular size. So we really want to represent women in the United States as they are and to make sure that there is a size range that takes care of the very vast majority of women so that size is no longer part of the conversation. So you started in 2015 with your co-founder, Polina Vexler. That's right. How did you two meet and what got you uh, excited to start this concept? Well, both of us had been living abroad for a very long time, and uh, we moved coincidentally to New York about two months apart. We were connected by former friends and colleagues who knew that we were both in New York and didn't really know anyone. So we went for a drink and just became friends. That's how it all kind of started. There was a pivotal moment that we always tell the story of when we were supposed to go to an event and... Um, I kind of pulled out the last minute and said, I'm not going. And she said, why? And I said, uh, I have nothing to wear, which seemed a very strange thing to her because, um, you know, Pauline is a tiny girl um, and she has never been in a situation where not being able to buy clothing was an issue for her. So she was puzzled and she said, why don't we just go to the store and buy you something? And, you know, that's when I said, well, I can't. There isn't a single store on all of Fifth Avenue that I can walk into and buy clothes for myself. And, you know, the disbelief in her face was like, really? I mean, really? And I said, yeah. And I took her to a department store where, um, where I could shop. And we went past all these beautifully merchandised floors to the furniture floor. Uh, the northeast corner of the furniture floor, walked her right up to, you know, the astonishing array of polyesters and said, this corner right here is where I get to choose how to present myself to the world. And I think it was fascinating to her, something that I'd lived with all my adult life. So we started thinking about how to change that. Because obviously, once you started hearing statistics like 67% of American women are over size 14, something wasn't making any sense. Like, how could a vast majority of American women be so underserved in a market that is constantly looking for opportunity and white space? So uh, we started to, um, to really look into it and decided to launch Universal Standard to solve that problem. And one of the things that you alluded to earlier is that you're not just trying to be for plus size women, but inclusive of all sizes. Is that one of the aspects that you think sets apart the way that you're approaching the market? Well, I think it actually goes beyond that because I think that's the default thinking, um, which is very reasonable because that's how things have always been. What we wanted to do is actually do the largest size range in the world 
so that we didn't have to talk about size. Mm. Um, ironically, as soon as people hear that you are also making sizes that go beyond a size 14, they tend to think of you as a plus size brand. We are not a plus size brand. I suppose you could call us a size inclusive brand, but we're hoping to create a world where neither of those descriptions is, is necessary, where they're both completely obsolete. So it's just clothing for women. And we go from a size double zero to a size 40, and that's an American 40, not a European 40. So it's a, it's a vast range of sizes because we want women to be able to walk into a store and then just ask themselves, like, do I like this? Is this my style? Rather than does this come in my size or not even enter the store because they know it doesn't. Yeah. And I, I imagine there's all kinds of logistical reasons that this has got to be like a huge challenge, just keeping all of those different sizes in inventory and the cash flow around that. And creatively, I, I know as you know, as the creative director, um, just from a photography standpoint, it must be really challenging. And so I'm guessing some of those are some of the reasons maybe the industry hasn't gone in uh, in a more inclusive direction already. But are, what are the main things you think that have created that limitation in the past? You know, this is this is the question that everyone's asking. And it's actually fascinating because the answer is quite unsavory. The biggest obstacle to size inclusivity being the norm is a very ingrained, calcified prejudice against big bodies. I would say that that is the, the sort of the biggest start uh, of the problem for decades and decades. We have seen smaller bodies as the ideal and larger bodies as something unwanted. So to change that mind and to start thinking of a variety of sizes as attractive is a huge obstacle. And I think that a lot of brands see it as a risk to their brand to to represent themselves and their aesthetic on bigger bodies. I think that getting over that is probably the first and biggest and most painful step to take. I think that beyond that, there are very practical obstacles, such as, as you said, the inventory is vast. That presents its own logistics problems. But there's also a lack of knowledge in the industry of how to manufacture some of these sizes. And, you know, there are looms that aren't big enough to create sweaters in a certain size because they're just not made in that size. So the whole industry is beginning to change. And when you think about the fact that in a country like the United States, never mind everywhere else, for an industry to be in pain, let's call it what it is, the apparel industry is suffering and still walk away from huge amounts of, of money on the table, you have to ask yourself the question, why? And I think that the answer to that is much more complicated than inventory or anything else. I think that there is a sort of endemic, ingrained will to exclude a certain perception of women because it's been bred in, in, in our bones. And in order to find something attractive, you have to see it over and over and over again. And um, most women just are not represented to the public eye. Who, women who are represented tend to be tall, thin, white women. As I was browsing uh, your website, I saw there was a page about 
the bell curve of sizes that you offer. And I think this is something that, to me, it goes to two of the things that I went to school for, one of which was biology. My first degree was in kind of ecology and zoology. And and there's a lot of like population dynamics type of conversations that happen there. Like what is standard deviation and is, you know, the concept of essentially like what fits into uh, how many people will fit into the biggest part of the bell curve and how many people fit fit into the edges. And then later I went to school for industrial design and studied um, ergonomics. And there's a great book that is probably like way out of date now from uh, an industrial design firm uh, that was founded by Henry Dreyfus that was all about kind of the same concept and showing what is the range of uh, sizes of like the most people, the, the the average American's forearm, let's say, like if you're designing for a desk or something like that, or like what is the what is the proper height of a table, and it will show like okay, here's the average, and here's the range that you need to include in order to cover ninety percent of the population, ninety five, ninety nine, and so that's like a, a very you know, more data-driven, I guess, way of uh, approaching the problem. But these numbers have been changing over the past 100 years, uh, just as a whole, like the U.S. population's 10 centimeters taller. Uh, Over the past 50 years, we're 30 30 pounds heavier. So like these things have been changing. I wonder if, like when you just look at it very like taking away the emotions of it, which I want to come back to, but looking at it just from a pure data standpoint, how much, I guess, of the of that bell curve exists for for Americans today, and like how much opportunity lives at the at the edges that uh, you're trying to explore right now? I think that's a, a really interesting question. You know, you don't have to be a scholar or a designer or an expert in apparel to know that the medium uh, in the United States is not a size 8. The medium in the United States is a size 18. And once you actually call the 1820 a medium, everything falls into very balanced kind of place where you don't have to come up with bizarre nomenclature that doesn't transfer across brands where you're in a constant sort of phase of of slight confusion you know what does this mean and how what's a 10 here and what's a 12 there and what's a bridge size and what constitutes a plus size you can't even get consensus on what constitutes plus size and even the way we refer to it you know plus size when we're talking about 70% of american women it just seems completely off kilter so when we actually looked at the population and said okay let's do something unprecedented here we know that new things always seem a bit strange but let's call the medium what the medium actually is in the population size wise everything became balanced so we go from an, a four extra small to a four extra large and on either side of that medium we cover sizes from double zero to 40. So rather than having that sort of double zero to 12 or to 10 or to eight in the cases of luxury brands, and then trying to find the right way to call 
sizes beyond that, you know, where everyone comes up with their own way of, of explaining uh, the larger body. We just thought, if we're going to do this, you know, let's build a new country here. Let's do this right and learn from what doesn't work. Let's reflect accurately the actual population of the United States and the rest kind of took care of itself. I guess one of the things that I'm wondering is now that you've been operating for a few years, you're starting to see the purchasing patterns that exist. And and presumably there is some sort of, you know, sizes that sell more than others. But I think the question when it comes to like that standard deviation or the bell curve is, you know, how flat is it? Like how, how much breadth of sizes is necessary to cover, you know, the broadest population. And when, and when you think about your patterns, how does that influence maybe like the relationship that you have with the suppliers? Like you have to, you know, if this, if a certain size sells less, you need to produce less of that item. Does it start to challenge the minimum order quantities or things like that, that need to, to be uh, ordered from those manufacturers? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we don't order the same number in every single size. There are sizes that are far more popular in terms of sales than other sizes. But I think that because of the way we have had fashion for so many decades, that there are subcultures within subcultures within subcultures in terms of sizing that I never even knew about. You know, when we started to go to it, we didn't know what a size 40 looked like. We had to educate ourselves. And when we started talking to these women, I mean, I don't know how how deep you want to go in the podcast, but I was shocked by by the incredible lack that they live in. I mean, incredible lack. The things that we take absolutely for granted that are not available to them and they somehow make do. I believe that there are still undiscovered countries within those subcultures. So, you know, you have the women who have absolutely every option in the world. And as you go up the scale, you know, there's a scarcity that comes into play that once you get to the to the other end of that spectrum is quite shocking. That includes manufacturers, of course. First of all, they don't know how to make clothes that big for them to be balanced and actually look like clothing rather than use a formula to grade by and then you get this huge garment that doesn't actually fit anyone. So there's a huge learning curve uh, when it comes to minimums. It's less about how many sizes you make in each garment and more about how many garments you make in that one style. So having a bigger or broader size range actually helps. But there is a lot of learning to be done when creating clothing for the American woman, which sounds so mad. But when you think about everything that we are fed visually, Mm. there doesn't seem to be a bigger body out there. You know, we don't see it. Um, it's not in magazines. It's rarely in, in television. It's almost never in film. Uh, as you walk past the windows and watch watch the, the shows that influence your idea of style and what's happening, those women are just not represented. They are actually invisible. So we have to start at the fact that a lot of people don't even know there's a problem. Just like my business partner didn't know there was a problem. Why would she? It's so outside of her experience. So first we have to acknowledge there's a problem and then we have to solve it. 
something really fascinating that you uh, launched was the Fit Liberty concept, where you're allowing women to change sizes within a year of purchasing the item. But the the one other aspect that I was even more fascinated about was um, a subset of that is uh, clothing that you are designing for pregnant women and how those garments are like adapting uh, throughout that whole journey. Like, Can you explain a little bit more about that idea and how it came about? Fit Liberty um, came about like so many of the things that we do just through observation. We started to see women coming into our showrooms and we started to see a very interesting relationship between uh, the woman and her own reflection in the mirror. And there was a pattern and the pattern was that what she was looking at was just not good enough, that it was going to change and she was going to be her better self, quote unquote, and that the person who was being reflected in the mirror did not deserve these nice things or she would buy a size that was too small and didn't fit because, you know, she wanted to be the person who fit into those clothes. And there was this huge sort of cloud of uh, a, a massive monologue that was going on in each woman's head. And when I say each woman, I I mean each woman. I, I don't mean bigger women. I mean all women. There were women who were coming in and saying, my God, I've never worn a size eight in my life. I've always been a six or I've always been a four six. Society has bred this this loathing, this fear and loathing of of gaining weight. So we thought, how do we solve this problem? How do we kill that bully that seems to live in, in women's heads? And so we thought, you know what? Buy the size that fits you perfectly right now. Acknowledge yourself as you are. And then go off and live your life. And you have a whole year to wear this product. You have a whole year to enjoy yourself. And if you should lose weight, if you should gain weight, whatever changes life brings across the year, Send back the garment. We will send you your new size for free. And we will send these gently worn, excellent quality clothes because this is not fast fashion. These clothes have a second and third life. We will send them to the two charities that we work with, which is Dress for Success and First Step, which is part of the Coalition for the Homeless, and give other women an opportunity to get great quality clothes in in a much broader range of sizes. It keeps them out of landfills. It just made sense on so many levels that we knew we had something good. So that was the idea behind Fit Liberty. And then we thought, why on earth should women be forced to buy maternity clothes when a wonderful garment that has give should be able to take her through a pregnancy especially with um, something like fit liberty in play where once your body does change beyond your own average size you can always just exchange it for your new size we just didn't see the the, the reasoning behind having to change your style for the four or five months that you may need clothes that accommodate the new shape of your body. So we wanted women to to think about that part of their lives from a different perspective and not just automatically step into this 
this box of you're pregnant, you need maternity. Here's what maternity looks like. And maternity does not look great. I'll be perfectly honest. There are some brands out there that are, that are very beautiful, of course, but generally speaking, because it's considered such a a temporary state of being, you know, there's not a lot of stuff out there. Um, and that stuff does require you to change your own personal style. Um, so we thought implementing the Fit Liberty program and having wonderful fabrics should take care of this issue without having to ask you to buy specific clothing for a very short period of your life. Are the Fit Liberty clothes that are for mothers, um, designed differently because the way your body changes when you're pregnant is is different presumably <laughs> mostly around your stomach i'm guessing so you would probably design the clothing a little bit differently right they are not it's not maternity clothing what it is is great clothing that grows with you because it's it's things like microfibers it's things like the best most beautiful cotton blends in the world with a little bit of elastane so it bounces back and still stays in shape. It's micro ribbing that fits your body um, to the point where you don't even feel like you're wearing anything. It's really more about the technology of the fabrics and the cuts themselves that grow with you. And if you grow beyond what you would normally buy as a size, then you have the Fit Liberty program to exchange into. Gotcha. And you can make one exchange in, in that program. Is that right? One exchange in that year. Yes. Did you ever consider extending that or allow people to buy into that and keep a, an item for several years and change it several times? Um, obviously it's something that we talked about when we first started, we, you need to make sure that it's, you know, economically viable for the brand. So for us, we wanted to, to find that special spot between allowing women enough time to feel that they understand which direction their body is going in and how, how it feels and have that liberty to, to exchange into something that's going to be just right for them at, at any given moment without making it impossible for us to, as a brand, to continue that program because, you know, effectively you'd be making a piece of clothing that could potentially forever uh, be replenished, which makes it very difficult. It also makes it very difficult purely from a design perspective because the pieces themselves do tend to change and the ones that are available for the fit liberty program are the sort of perennial favorites but even perennial favorites are changed out at some point so if you want to use a fit liberty program 10 years down the line you might not be able to find that object to to exchange into what do you do with the clothing that comes back that is donated to um, the two charities I mentioned. So it is given to uh, Dress for Success and uh, part of the Coalition for the Homeless, which is a wonderful program called First Step. So they receive much needed clothing in a variety of sizes um, because bigger sizes, for example, tend to be fast fashion and fast fashion just doesn't, you know, after you wash it three or four times, it just, it's just gone. It's spent. It doesn't keep its shape. It doesn't, doesn't have the quality to, to continue its life as a garment. So it becomes garbage. Our clothes are excellent quality. So 
we wanted to make sure that if you didn't have use for them, here's the, the size that will fit you again perfectly. Give us the, the product that you no longer want. We will launder it and we will make sure that the people who need it get a chance to, to own it. Yeah, it reminds me of a, a few different conversations that we've had on the podcast over the past um, couple of years. One with ThreadUp recently where they've been um, trying to facilitate for, for brands a way to make the reselling of the products more easy. You know, if someone decides they don't like that item anymore or their size has changed. And then also with Eileen Fisher in Patagonia, we were exploring how to fit repairs and kind of a lifetime warranty type of concept into, uh, you know, products. It, it, some products are better suited than others at that. But I'm really fascinated about that concept of circularity and prolonging the life of a garment. I don't know what the statistics are. You probably <laughs> have some data on this, but how much does someone's body weight uh, fluctuate over, you know, their lifetime or over a period of five or 10 years? Yeah, I mean, obviously, to some extent, it depends on the individual. We're also really fascinated by the circularity of, of any given economy and the ability to sort of, you know, move a product through several life lifetimes with several owners. For us, it's a matter of giving it rather than reselling it. And it keeps it out of the, the landfills, as I said, and it just it, it makes such a big difference to someone else's life. And it shuts the bully up in the heads of those women who look at themselves in the mirror and are a product of, of our social pressures. Yeah, going back to that bullying, I mean, I think that almost everyone at some point struggles with self-image. And one of the things that I was finding as I was doing research ahead of this conversation was I found a piece in the Washington Post. It was titled, What Kind of Messages Fashion Trying to Send to Plus Size Women that featured Universal Standard and, and some other companies as well. The, the thing that I found the most fascinating was actually going into the comments, which was like a real minefield. There's like 2,000 comments in there. And I mean, it was very wide ranging in terms of the opinions that people had in there. A lot of them being, you know, either people who saw themselves in what you were doing or people criticizing what you were doing and, and taking more of the bully stance. Like, it's not just something that is, you know, uh, from the images that we see or the things that are in our head, but there's, there's definitely um, that dialogue happening and people who have that point of view. How much do you feel, whether it's on a personal level, just you or as a company that you need to kind of get involved in that conversation? Well, fortunately, most of the people that interact with Universal Standards are the people who understand and believe in the concept. So we don't really have too many people coming to the site or coming to the the social elements of, of our brand and, and ranting and raving, although you know, Facebook always does have some goodies. There will always be people who have certain uh, views and opinions for universal standard. Strangely enough, and I, you know, I've said this to much controversy before, um, although personally, I, all of us actually believe in the, the body positivity movement. The brand is not about that because we do not believe that you should have to make an emotional payment to buy a frock. We make clothes. If you need clothes, we have clothes. 
that's where it begins and that's where it ends. And I think that a lot of people have become so used to bigger bodies having to explain themselves and and shower gratitude you know on the brands that have deigned to create something for them that it's become um a different thing you know a size six woman does not have to defend or explain herself when she buys a dress but for some reason a size 26 woman practically warrants an interview so we really want that conversation to change you know, the, this this idea that big bodies are horrible is probably the last acceptable prejudice. And that a lot of people feel quite comfortable, especially on social media, to hide behind health concerns or whatever it is to voice their dislike. We don't have anything to say about that. We make clothes. We make clothes for women. That's all there is to it, really. Yeah, I think it's very fascinating, and and I noticed that from um, visiting your site that it has a more neutral point of view on just you know clothing that is sized for all different people, and and I think we live right now in a very polarized time. There's a lot of tribalism that occurs where people want to take a side, and as you mentioned, I, not that it's a bad thing, but I do think that some of the um, companies that emphasize, you know, only plus sizes are maybe enhancing that tribalism because it, it creates a separation between and the us groups. And them. Yeah. Yep. Is that something you're trying to deal with at the company? Is that something that do you ever find yourself uh, struggling with the positioning of what you're doing? Yeah. I mean, we really believe that as long as you're the other you're going to be the lesser. And the only way to sort of participate in the full spectrum of, of wonderful things that are available to in the world is to to not be othered. And once you, you know, for a plus size brand to come into the space now is I think a little bit like, you know, uh, a music company making CDs, you know, in the age of downloads. It doesn't have the relevance that it should have, uh, in my personal view. I believe that creating clothes, that if you wouldn't make it for a size 6, don't make it for a size 26. Uh, why does there need to exist this kind of division? Like, you get this, but you, you get this. It just doesn't make any sense at all to me. And that's one of the things that we really, really want to change. So it's not about simply giving more options to bigger women. It's really about erasing that line and saying it doesn't matter who cares what size you are. If this is something you like, you should have access to it. It's just about access. It's about nothing else. I think the the you know, as I was reading these comments, like a lot of it um, comes down to people worrying about glamorizing obesity or something like that. Um, I, th- I think, you know, as we talked about with the, con- you know, the idea of pregnancy is another time in your life where your body changes. Some people have larger bodies than others. Some people have disabilities that may prevent them from exercise or some something else. Like So there's there's just such a wide variety of situations where as humans, we differ in size. And it kind of gets boiled down to certain kind of hot button issues that become taboos or become a fuel for like a very hateful conversation. 
Well, I think that people get confused between glamorization and representation. That's a great point. I think that when you look at a woman who is proudly standing um, and looking back into the camera, wearing whatever it is that she's wearing of a larger size, I think that she exists. She's not a construct. This is an actual human being who wants the respect and the the privilege and the access to nice things like anyone else does. And I think that if ignoring people and whitewashing them out of the social perspective, shaming them, if any of that worked, then we wouldn't have the population that's constantly growing in size. So I think that those kind of concerns that are often voiced on social media are actually just like vitriolic sort of uh, hate spewing. And that's all it kind of is. I think that people of all sizes exist and, you know, they deserve to be seen. Yeah. I guess the, the question I have is, is kind of what I was asking before. Do you feel a need or a desire to go change those people's mind or is it, let's construct, you know, a, 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 a different and better world that <laughs> the future can live in. And, and, and that's how we'll change the way our society behaves. Certainly the latter. <laughs> I don't think I can change anyone's mind. I think we just, we just create what we believe in and then everything just kind of organically happens on its own as it should. I want to come back to some of the, the practical considerations. I saw that you started opening stores. I'm curious how those stores work. I was un, kind of under the impression that it was a little bit more of a showroom. I'm curious how it will work when it comes to kind of representing the, the wide array of inventory and products that you have since there are so many sizes. How did you go about designing your first stores? So as you probably know, we are primarily a direct-to-consumer brand. The way our one-to-one spaces work is that they're set up like beautiful apartments. Um, You make uh, an appointment. And of course, we have that styling experience that we're famous for, where the stylist comes in and um, makes sure that you're completely taken care of. You can come in by yourself or with friends or with your sister or with your mom, whatever it is that you want. Have a glass of champagne, try on some things. Nothing is out of bounds now in terms of clothing because everything we make is in the full size range. So it's not some capsule somewhere that is separate from the rest of the offerings. It's not some things that go up to a certain size. It's really absolutely everything in all sizes. The second prong to that idea is that we have a space for amazing events that help to build community and allow people to get together. So whether it's a book reading, a fireside chat, or, you know, a yoga class, um, there is space to come in and, and try new things and meet new people. And the third and probably most unusual thing that we do is we actually allow those spaces to be used by our customers for their own events for absolutely free. So there's no joining fee there's no rental fee it just becomes your pied-à-terre in the center of the city where universal standard has a one-to-one space um when you started to open these and you know you've been talking a lot about your point of view on 
kind of inclusivity. Was there anything different about how you train the staff who are taking care of your customers in terms of the language they should use or how they should work with customers, you know, to help them make make them feel comfortable? Well, our staff in those places are stylists. They're not salespeople. So they are completely on your side. They are there for you to help you either change your wardrobe or find something special for an occasion or, you know, prepare for a new career or whatever it is that you want. So that in and of itself is different. They are going to tell you when something does not look right, when it's not your color, when you should try a bigger size, when you should try a smaller size. It really is quite a different experience than just walking into a store and having a salesperson there. In terms of language, we take our cues from the people we have in the store. You know, it's really not that complicated. It's people talking to people. I think one thing that we're incredibly proud of is the group of people who uh, work as stylists across our five locations in the United States. We're constantly getting amazing customer reviews about uh, how helpful they are, how knowledgeable they are, and how useful they are to a lot of people who are stepping into this arena of access for the first time in their adult lives. Since you've been, you know, running the the creative side of the company, I'm curious what else you've learned about um, the styling aspect, the photography aspect of finding models, all of that kind of uh, stuff that comes with, you know, showing your product on the web in a way that uh, helps people understand what they are and buy them. So we do something that um, I don't think any other brand does. It's called See It in Your Size, and we actually photograph all of our clothes on every single size of woman, which allows each woman to actually see what those jeans, for example, would look like on her. Rather than judging her eyes and trying to imagine what that size 10 model, how that would translate onto her size 26 body, let's say. So it's quite a costly undertaking, (laughs) as you can imagine. And it's not computer graphics. We actually get models of every single size and shoot every piece of clothing on them so that you can make the website bespoke to your particular size and see the clothes just in your size on just models of your size if you want to. And what are some of the things that you learned about the the logistics of getting all of that actually accomplished? It's a lot. I'm not going to lie. It's a lot. It's a very large size spectrum. Uh, which means a lot of models brought in from all over the place. They all have to be the same height. The clothes have to, you know, obviously fit them. (laughs) The photography, it's a very lengthy process. It's an expensive process. But what we've learned is that we make up for it on the other side, which um, means we have much fewer returns. By giving the customer the ability to actually to see someone their size wearing the garment that they're thinking of buying um, has been tremendously helpful and has really uh, reduced returns. Yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, I can I I handle a lot of uh, photography related projects at at Lumion. Um, it's a <laughs> we it's we a have, lot, isn't it? Yeah, it's a lot, and uh, yeah. I, I'm curious, like, what are some of the guidelines or, you know, principles that you've established or any kind of rules that say, like, this is what a universal standard photo should be like? 
we sort of consider ourselves to be a brand of elevated essentials. And our motto uh, for all intents and purposes is all of us as we are. So we really try to be a reflection of the world as it is. We have women of every size, of every race, of every age, of every ability, of every gender. Um, we really try to show the beauty of diversity and inclusivity because it's not only a reflection of the world, but we honestly believe it is much more beautiful. And rather than just having a single bowl of apples, you can have apples and pears and peaches and cherries and whatever it is. Um, it's going to be much more, much more appealing and, and much more beautiful and much more representative of everything that's out there. I'm playing around with the, uh, the see it in your size right now on your website. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of fascinating because you've got the, just the lighting and the shadows and everything is all exactly the same in every photo. But, and even the poses, so like trying to find kind of the right poses is kind of fascinating because you want to keep that as consistent as possible so that you can see the differences as the sizes change. So that's definitely a challenge. <laughs> yeah, so there is a very, um, you know, when we're shooting specifically for See It In Your Size, it's very much about being able to compare one to the next. Some people don't know exactly what size they are. So they'll have to look at the two models next to each other or they'll have to look at, you know, a few of the sizes. And some people will just look at it because it's fascinating. Bodies are fascinating. You know, it's interesting to see, you know, what bodies look like. There is a whole aspect of inclusion and diversity in this that goes beyond just the garment, I would even say. It's kind of a there's a baked in peace of mind, if you will, um, into this experience that we think is the future and is the new normal. And it's changing the way women look at fashion and the way fashion looks at women. Have you ever thought about um, doing this for uh, men as well? Or is, is, is it really focused on women? We have, in fact, uh, because we do get a lot of questions about that. And it is something that I really like to go into as a brand. So I think that we will be making plans for that. Yes. Cause I think that that's another aspect of inclusivity that, um, you know, more and more, I think there's conversation around, you know, gender fluidity as well. And I think that there's definitely some people who would want to buy your products that don't necessarily think of themselves as women, or there might be designs that kind of, uh, can be unisex and work for everyone. So I think that's a kind of a fascinating idea if you want to keep expanding on that concept. Absolutely. And we already have uh, a huge um, part of, uh, of our community is gender fluid. We, you know, you can see it in, uh, in our social media, you can see it in our, on our website, there's a lot of men who come in to buy things. And not just things that are gender neutral, but you know, traditional gender, like men will buy the dresses or, you know, or maybe it's just a turtleneck, whatever it is. But, you know, we are here for everyone. And uh, once we start making a menswear line, um, we once again invite anyone who feels comfortable to wear anything without any judgment to, um, to our brand. That would be really exciting. Uh, is there anything else you're, you're excited about for the next couple of years? 
I think that um, this is the dawning of, of our one-to-one space. So we now have one in Seattle, one in Portland, one in Houston, where I'm actually going uh, in a couple of hours, one in Chicago and one in New York. And I think that it's going to be a really, really interesting experience to see over this coming year how community builds around these and 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 how people interact with these spaces because we truly believe that buying clothes has got to be way more than a transaction now. You can buy everything online. You don't need to go to a store just to pick something up. It has to be, there has to be much more value in it. That is what we're really excited about experimenting with through our one-to-one spaces. Awesome. Well, I got to (laughs) get you off on your flight. So if people want to learn more, um, universalstandard.com is your website. Is there anything you want to point people to? No, I guess, um, you know, the only thing I want to point people to is is to the change that we want to bring to, to the world of, of fashion and apparel. Um, I think that people are waking up to it and are seeing the writing on the wall. And we're incredibly happy to be at the point of the spear when it comes to conversations like sizing and fit liberty and see it in your size and just who gets to have access to beautiful things. I'm curious if, you know, people are, I guess, competitors to you and are trying to (laughs) build their own like more size inclusive array of clothing, whether it's, you know, in a, a you know, overlapping uh, areas, or if it's in, you know, products that you don't sell yet, like, what would you recommend to them? It seems like you've learned so much about the tailoring and those aspects. If we want to really kind of move towards uh, a new world where this is the new normal, are there lessons that you've learned in this that you're willing to open source, so to speak? I would say to those people, please, please, please do it. Uh, This is a huge, huge open space. And the more, the merrier. We're here to, you know, to change the way this is done, not just for our brand, but for for brands in general. And we're hoping that people will will take note and come to us if if they have questions, if they need, you know, just like J. Crew did, just like Rodarte did, just like Adidas did. We launched all those collaborations because those brands were really interested in exploring, you know, this, this, this new growth of the business and, and the new way of looking at the world. We very truly believe that the future will have many, many more brands that are not just, you know, doing a performative action by jumping on the bandwagon and offering one or two things in a bigger size that are only available online, but brands who can really commit themselves to making clothes for all of us um, and and giving access to, to all American women. Well, that's super inspiring. Um, thank you so much, Alex. I wish you all the best. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Ooh, one last thing before we go. I'm talking to you at home. What's your favorite brand these days? Is there something that you think is really well made? Or maybe someone that you'd love for me to talk to? Send us a tweet. We are at Lumi, L-U-M-I, on Twitter. We're making this show for you, so... Tell us what you want to hear and we'll make it happen. Thanks. See you next time.